good evening, aye, whatever. I'm not going to be that long, honestly. <laughs> but I think it's uh, interesting that um, what Ruth was saying there about forgiveness and Tom and Anne mentioned as well, you know. It can be hard to forgive others, you know, um, especially if they've wronged you. And, but, and that's why we need the, the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ to do that. But, you know, sometimes as believers, we're not perfect and we can do wrong to others as well. But it's it's seeing where we've went wrong and through the power of the Holy Spirit as well making yourself available for forgiveness to the opposite party you know so it's, it's a thought it's an interesting thought thanks very much before we get started this morning could we just bow our heads and a wee word of prayer uh, and then we'll get, get started Father God we thank you indeed Lord that we can sit here that we can open up your word Father and we just ask Lord just now that you Open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts, Lord God, to the things that you have to say to us this morning from your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was wondering what to, to speak on this morning. And for a while now, believe it or not, we've done ten studies on the parables of Jesus. And we looked at 17 different parables involved in that. So I thought what I'd maybe do is come to a conclusion with the parables and then move on to something else to give a wee summary I should actually do a, a question and answer session now just to see who's been listening in the past or not okay? but I'll no bother so you can just relax what is a parable? well if you look up the, the dictionary the definition you'll get is a story with a moral lesson Jesus teaches that it's an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. It's stories that Jesus put across with human circumstances, you know, whether it be sowers out in the field, or whether it be a wise man building a house, or whether it be somebody looking for something that was lost, the sheep, the coin, all these kind of things. He used things that we're familiar with, but there's a spiritual lesson hidden within that. A spiritual lesson in there that we had to search for, we had to look for. And most of the time, the parables were about God's kingdom. That's you and I, believers. We usually generally found that there was something about believers within the parables that we looked at. Parables are there to illustrate truth, to make it clear through familiar things that we can understand and we can associate with. We're also good, we looked at, about giving instruction to other people or rebuking other people as well. And that can be quite handy, especially within church circles and Christian circles as well. They also create interest and hunger for more information. That's what I'd noticed when, when I was looking at the parables, and I'm sure you guys did as well, when we were looking at it, we found some real nuggets there, we found some real treasures within these parables and it gave us a hunger it gave us a thirst to find out more about what God's word had for us and what the parables were saying to us but why did Jesus use parables? we looked at that at the beginning didn't we? I want you to turn to Matthew 13 just now we find the answer in there Matthew chapter 13 if we see there at verse 10 
The heading that uh, my Bible says at the top of verse 10 is the purpose of parables. I don't know if you guys have got that. But here we see Jesus telling us why he uses parables. In verse 11 we'll start and it says, He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, least they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So here Jesus is basically, what he's saying here is, the parables are for those whose eyes have been opened, and for those whose ears are listening to what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. The people whose eyes are opened and spiritually aware of what's going on around about us is you and I, believers, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see Jesus is telling us that the parables that he was saying and teaching are for us. And for those people back then that knew the disciples, that knew what Jesus was talking about, or at least had an idea of spiritual things, whose eyes were opened and ears were opened too. This is what Jesus was saying. These parables are for you and I. So you and I, as believers and followers of Jesus, need to look into them to see what they're actually saying to us. And we did that. We looked at 17 different parables. You know, we looked, in chapter 13, there was seven alone that we looked at. The parable of the sower was the first one, the first parable that Jesus ever gave. And there he talked about the four soils. And there we looked at the sower, who symbolised Jesus bringing the word, which was a seed, which is put out in the field in the different soils. And the four different soils that were there were the four different stages of man's heart. Whether they accepted it or not, whether they just threw the, the, the gospel away, whether the birds of the air came down and took it away, the, the, the rocky ground and all that kind of stuff, that was all there within the parables. We looked at that. So we can understand and see that within parables, each character in a parable associates with somebody. In um, the seven parables in, in Matthew 13, we see seven different parables there. Jesus explained what the first one was about, the parable of the sower. He gave an explanation about it. He then went on to talk about the wheat and the tares, and he gave an explanation about that as well. With all five parables, we had to look out for ourselves. We had to search ourselves. He didn't give an explanation for it. So that's the good thing about God. I love the way that, that God created us. You know, he, he created the universe. The kids are getting that just now in Sunday school, and it, it's great to, to let them know the truth and to see how we, we came here and how we were formed and how we were made. But God made us individual, every one of us. But the blessed thing is that he gave us each a brain, and he expects us to use our brain. You know, we, we shouldn't just accept what 
Billy Owen says up there when he's teaching on a Sunday morning, we shouldn't accept what Jim says, we shouldn't accept what they're teaching us at the schools, we shouldn't accept what we're getting taught at university or work or whatever it is. We should look for it ourselves. You know, God gave us a brain to look for ourselves. So that's what we need to do when it comes to God's word and, of course, the parables. And we did that. And we looked at various ones. The third one there was the mustard seed. And how it was a mustard seed was planted and it grew into this huge big tree where the birds of the air came in and nested in it. And when we looked at it and we studied it, we found out that the, the mustard seed, the bush, only really grows into be something about three or four feet high. It shouldn't really be this huge, big, monstrous tree that Jesus said it was. But here it was. And when we studied it, we found that this was a, a, a parable with some kind of prophetic outlook on it about the future church, how it grew into this huge, big thing that it shouldn't be. And that the birds of the air, which were symbolic of evil and demons, came into the, the tree and they nested in there. And we see that in the church today. We see that in the church in history, how evil has come in and infiltrated it and, and, and changed things and brought in rules and regulations and pomp and ceremony and all the nonsense that's there and all the, the wealth that is within the church. It's this huge, big, monstrous tree, and that was never the way God intended it to be. So all these seven parables were associated with the church, and we saw that. We looked at that. One of my favorites was the, the peril of great price. What a, a beautiful uh, parable it was. And it says in verse 45 of chapter 13, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. So this man, that we found out was Jesus, gave up everything he had, everything in heaven came down to this earth, gave up everything, died on the cross for that pearl. And we looked at how, in Jewish terms, that, that the Jews wouldn't associate, they wouldn't wear pearls because they were unclean things, you know. They wouldn't, they wouldn't really wear pearls. No doubt they would sell them and, and make some money off it, the kind of typical Jewish way, but they wouldn't associate themselves with them. So this was something that wasn't really Jewish, you know. So, and, and when a pearl, when it grows, it, it grows through irritation, the sand gets in to the wee shell and it, and it irritates, and through irritation this beautiful pearl appears. And we found that in the churches like that as well, through persecution, the church grows. So it was a beautiful and a great wee um, parable to do with, with the church. We also then went on to look and tie in those seven churches with the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. And how these seven parables and the seven churches seem to mimic each other. You know, you could fit one on top of each other. There was a template for each other. And it was, it was great how the Holy Spirit tied everything in. And we looked into that study as well. We also looked at the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. And there we, we saw God's grace in that. How the shepherd gave up the 99 sheep to just look for that one single sheep. And the woman turned her house upside down looking for that one single lost coin that she, she lost. Now... The coin maybe didn't have great financial value, but certainly to her it was precious, maybe sentimental. But she looked everywhere for that. And with the lost son as well, the lost son went away, found himself wrapped up in sin, broken, penniless, and he came back to his father and his father welcomed him with open arms. And here we saw God's grace, how he constantly wants us to, to be found by him. He constantly wants us to, to follow him. And he's always there 
ready to forgive us, ready to bring that forgiveness to us. No matter what we've done, no matter how far we've stepped over the line, God is always there to forgive. We then looked at the, the wise and foolish virgins, how some of them, the five, were, were ready for the bridegroom coming, or five weren't. And, and we looked at the prophetic signs that I have and how you and I can be like those virgins. Are we ready for Christ's return? Or are we not ready for Christ's return? And it's, where, where were we? Where do we stand in there? Is, is our lamps full of oil and we have extra there ready? Or do we let it burn out and the oil not in the, the lamp and, and it's run out and we're not ready for the bridegroom coming? So there's a challenge there for us as well. And then again we looked at the wise builder and the foolish builder as well. And how we should build our lives on the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it be spiritual, whether it be physical, whatever, emotional, every part of our life we should build on the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was great to look at these things. It was great to, to see that the Lord Jesus Christ uses these parables and they're for us. They're for our learning and they're for our, our understanding as to how we should live our lives and be ready. And the parables were full of prophecy. They were full of fresh ideas. They were, they were full of guidelines. It was great. So we should use them. We shouldn't just stick it back up on the shelf and say that was a lovely wee story that Jesus told. Didn't understand it, but it was lovely. We should look into these things. We should study these things and, and, and see what the Lord's got to say to us within it. But today, we're going to start a new. That's the, that's the summary of the parables done. In 15 minutes, we're now going to move on to something a wee bit different. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 2, please. most of you know now, I like a wee bit of controversy. You know, I like to try and stir people up a wee bit. You know, get them thinking, get their blood pumping a wee bit, you know. So, when I was, when Jim said to me about um, speaking today, a couple of weeks ago he says, well, you know, um, I'm not going to be there on the 8th, I'm going to be in Glasgow, would you mind doing some teaching? I said, no problem at all, that would be great. I thought you're a beauty. There's so much going on in my head just now. There's so much I want to share with everybody. There's so much going on in the world. I thought, you know, that'd be brilliant just to go back up there again and just really make everybody feel rotten, you know. And I thought, this would, this would be great. But, you know, Jim, these thoughts were going through my head. And I said to Jim, well, you know, I said, Jim, I'm pretty much done with the parables. You know, I think everybody's got a bit scun up with them. And he says, well, listen, why don't you move on to miracles then? I said, right, okay. I said, listen, do you know what? I'll think about it. I'll, I'll pray about it and, and we'll see. So I went home that Sunday night. It was either Sunday or Monday. I had something in my heart that I really wanted the Lord to, um, to answer for me. Right? So I was... I don't often get the chance in the house, but I was at peace and quiet to myself. And I got my Bible out and I'm really earnestly saying, look Lord, this issue I've got in my heart just now, can you give me some kind of sign, can you give me some kind of evidence that this thing that's in my mind just now is what you're wanting me to do or say or whatever. And uh, I don't normally do this, right, but I said, like Lord, in faith, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to open my Bible and whatever's there, Lord, I'm just going to take Right now, I don't normally do this, and my Bible always just flops open where the bookmarks are. Right, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, "Lord, in faith, I'm going to do this." So I opened up my Bible, and there was John chapter two, 
And I thought, hey, what does John chapter 2 say? And here we see it was Jesus' first miracle. And I'm like, right, okay, Lord, I, I hear you. That thing that's in my heart, we can put that aside just now. I'll concentrate on looking at these miracles just now for you. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at Jesus' miracles and concentrate today on the, the first miracle he did, and that was in John chapter 2. As you can see there, this is the, the miracle of the water being turned into wine. And we read the first couple of verses. It says there in chapter 2, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. To give you a wee bit of background here, the Cana of Galilee is in north Israel, in the northern part of Israel, between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, pretty much in the middle there, somewhere. It's about seven miles north in Nazareth. Okay. I'm going to sound a bit sad here, but I went on to Google Maps and I thought, you know, I'm going to sit, put a wee plot on to see how far away it is for Jerusalem. So I set up a wee Jerusalem map and went to um, Cana of Galilee, and there's 98 miles. Okay, so there's 98 miles north of Jerusalem. It gives you an idea of where it is. Okay, this is all Tom and Susan's fault. See, since I started going to the prayer for Israel, all I ever think about is like where's Jerusalem in association with that, and whereabouts is that in Israel? You know, praise God for it. So, so that's where it is roughly. The, 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 the geographic location in northern Israel, 98 miles north of Jerusalem, you'll find this wee village, Cana of Galilee at the time, and there was a wedding there that day and Jesus was asked along to the wedding he was invited there with his disciples now we sometimes in Jewish culture the wedding could last up to as much as seven days right, this one here we're not too sure how long this wedding lasted for but here we see Jesus invited to this wedding and I think it's interesting how we seem to have this idea that Jesus is this kind of boring very um, sensible man. And I'm, do you know what? I'm sure he was. I'm not knocking that, right? But I'm sure he must have been about a character because everybody wanted him at a wedding, a feast. They wanted him at his house. He, wherever Jesus was, people wanted to be there. People wanted him to come to their house and all that kind of stuff. So he must have been the kind of guy that folks enjoyed the company of. You know, people wanted him to be there, you know, which, which is great. And it, you know, I, I sometimes I think as well, you know, you think of... And Scotland would say, oh, he's a bit of a character. You know, and I'm sure in many ways he was. You know, the kind of background they came from, uh, a wee touch of poverty there, kind of working class. You know, these kind of guys, they've got a bit of banter. You know, they, they know how to have a laugh and a joke. I'm sure Jesus was like that as well. So here we see, he's been invited to this wedding, and his disciples were there as well. I think it's interesting that we see that the, when he says on the third day, this wasn't the third day of the wedding. This was the third day of Jesus' ministry. Two days beforehand, he just left Jordan to, to, to travel. And here, this was the third day of his ministry starting. And he was sitting at this wedding. And the third day has always been an important thing to God. We see at the start of creation, on the third day, God created the fruits and the trees. Here we see the, the kind of new fruit coming. On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. You know, so there's always an, an association with the third day with everything. So here, straight away, 
When we're studying this, we should, this should jump out us straight away on the third day. There was this wedding, and Jesus was invited. So we know that straight away there's something going to be happening here. There's something interesting going to be happening with Jesus. So we need to kind of keep an eye on what he's doing. The disciples are there as well. Now, when you look into it, you realise that there was probably six disciples there. They were mentioned in the, the, the chapter before in John. The, the six of them would be Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, John and James. And they would be at this wedding with Jesus at the time. And I want you to keep that in mind, there was six of them there. Because there's something later on within this passage that we see that could be interesting to tie in with the six disciples being there. So keep that in the back of your mind as well. So moving on to verse 3. And it says here, And when they they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. So here they are. They're at the wedding feast. They've ran out of wine, which... Would have been an utter disgrace. You know, everybody would be talking about this. Oh, that wedding! You remember that wedding? We ran out of wine. Oof! There was no wine at that wedding. I'll tell you. You never remember the beautiful bride or the the, the band that was playing. Or I was going to see the kilts they were wearing, but they wouldn't be wearing kilts. But you know what I mean? They would, they would always remember the negative. They'd always go, "Oh, that was the day they ran out of wine." So there would have been some kind of disgrace attached to it. You know, especially in the, the culture they came from. So it wouldn't have been a good thing. But here we see Mary is turning around to Jesus and uh, she's saying there, um, they have no wine. Jesus, they've run out of wine. Why did Mary ask this question, do you think? What concern is it of Mary that that Jesus should do something about this? You know, I think that's always been quite interesting. You know, here's Mary at this wedding. She's on an invitation as well. She's a guest. She's sitting there. She's obviously heard of Ranity Wine. She's turned around and said, listen, Jesus, Ranity Wine. And the reason why I think she's asking is because she knows who Jesus is. Remember away at the beginning, she had a visitation from an angel and she was told that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. And by faith she accepted that. And she stood by that. And she's watched Jesus grow from a boy, going through hard times, going through good times, through the things that he said when he was younger, all the way up. And she knew that this was the start of his ministry. And she knew that he was then going to move on because he was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. And she really believed that. So when she saw trouble there, she immediately turned to Jesus. Jesus, I've run out of wine. Can you help him in some kind of way? When Jesus goes on, he says there, Woman, now... When I first read this, I'm thinking, it's a bit cheeky, is it not? Turning around to your mother and saying, oh, women. See, see if I'd say that to my mum, I'd be a clout in the lug. Who are you, talk, who are you calling women? But when you look at the actual word itself, uh, it's translated in our Bible in English as women, but the, the real word there is, uh, really means uh, like a madam, you know, the way we'd be talking quite polite. It's not a kind of, uh, it's a term of endearment, you know, it's not, he's not meant to be sounding cheeky when he says it to his mother, you know, it's a, kind of, a term of endearment to her. About saying, oh madam, look, don't panic. You know, so that's, that's the kind of the meaning behind it there. But I think it's interesting to see that, you know, Mary doesn't push it. 
You know, Mary doesn't say, right, come on, Jesus, you need to do something about it. He's turned around and said, listen, it's not quite my time yet. And Mary's not said, right, come on, Jesus, you need to do something. You need to help them out. She didn't push it. She just put the ball right back in his coat and said to the servants, look, whatever Jesus says, I want you guys to do it. So it pretty much is left in Jesus' hands in. You know, she's done her bit. She took a step back. I think it's interesting when you look and you study this, we find out that these words of Mary's, these are actually the last recorded words of what Mary, the mother of Jesus, has said. Okay? I think that's interesting because we know the Roman Catholics make a big hoo-ha about who Mary is. And sometimes, all the time, they hold her in higher esteem than what Jesus is. But here we see in the scriptures, the last thing that Mary says is whatever he says, do it. So, yes, Mary is the mother of Jesus, but she's a sinner, just like you and I. She was chosen because she was righteous and she was a right line of David. That, that was always nothing other supernaturally special about her. She was just a woman. Okay, so don't make anything about Mary. She herself is pointing to Jesus. Whatever he says, you do it. Verse 6. Now, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So here we see these water pots, six of them. The alarm going off, six disciples, six water pots, keep that in mind. To give you an idea, these water pots, it says they're um, 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Okay, it's the New King James I'm reading from. you probably find Old King James will talk about firkins, I think, is the measurement they use. So when you look at it, it's about 20 or 30 gallons. But if we take the 30 gallon, right? I've done some calculations, okay, and I looked at it. The six water pots with 30 gallons apiece. That's a total of 180 gallons, right? Now, to bring it into kind of modern terms, all the young folks that work in litres and all that kind of stuff, that's 681 litres. 113 litres for each water pot, okay? To give you a better understanding, you know the two litre bottles of Coke? You could fit 56 of them in each water pot. Okay, so that kind of shows you the kind of idea of the scale eh, the water pots that we're looking at there. And to fill all the water pots with Coke, two litre bottles of Coke, you'd need just over 340 of them. Alright, so that's a fair amount of wine. Eh? That's a fair amount of liquid that these water pots hold. And the thing is, the wedding was always judged by how many people were there. So if I've got all that wine there, and bearing in mind I've already had some, here we've got this wine again, 340 and a bit litres of wine or water, just now pots could be filled with water, and Jesus is going to perform a miracle with it. I want you to remember as well that um, just because it's wine doesn't mean they're all going to get pure hammered with it. You know what I mean? It's... The chances have been really, really strong as kind of few and far between. So, but it'd be, they'd be looking for wine anyway, but they were needing wine. And here Jesus found these six water pots sitting. And Jesus always starts any miracle with whatever he has at hand. So here we see Jesus had these six water pots. And they were empty water pots. So he's obviously thinking, right, what can I do 
with these water pots. So verse 7 we find out, it says, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. So here we see Jesus has said to the servants, look, go and fill these water pots with water. And they did. They didn't just fill it with water, they filled it to the brim, it says in our, in our, our Bibles there. And what Jesus really needed here was the obedience of men. If these servants turned around and said, Fill it with water, I'm too busy to fill water pots with water, man. You know, we're looking for wine. But yet they were obedient. They turned around and said, Right, okay. Let's see what this guy Jesus has got planned here. Let's do what he says. Because I'm sure he'd carry some kind of authority about with him. You know, people well, wouldn't be, maybe wouldn't want him. I was going to say maybe wouldn't want him mess with him, but that then gives a cross impression he's a bit of a bruiser. But I don't, I don't mean that, but he carries a certain authority about with him. So when he's asked to do something or he said something, people generally did it. So here we see these servants. Jesus said to them, could you fill it with water? And they did, and they filled it right to the brim. If these servants didn't do what they were told, then the miracle wouldn't have worked the way that Jesus wanted it to work. So we need to keep that in mind as well. Jesus could have filled the pots himself. He could have went up, started filling it himself, and then performed something. But he didn't because he wanted the servants to see something and be part of something that he was going to do. Be part of the blessing that we see is going to come later on. So they filled the pot, then Jesus said to them, draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. The feast. Now first of all the servants were obedient, they did what they were told, and then the second point there is, it took a great deal of faith for them to scoop out what they thought was water and to take it to the master of the feast and get him to taste it. Now, if it was still water, the chances are they would have got their books, because he'd be too busy for faffing about with servants that are buying him water when it's wine he's looking for so in faith, great faith, they obeyed Jesus scooped some out took it to him and they tasted it and said well, where did this wine come from, that was great so by faith they obeyed you know, Jesus makes good wine you know, the Bible tells us that it was good wine but I said earlier on it doesn't mean to say it was highly alcoholic by any manner of means but it was good tasting it was, it was lovely tasting wine he turned something that was bland something that was everyday water that it's, quite, it's good for quenching your thirst but it's a bland taste into something that was tasty and nourishing so here we see that he's changing things in this miracle something that was bland into something that was tasty and nourishing And it makes me think as well that he's took these six empty water pots, filled them with water, done a miracle, turned it into wine, full of something that is nourishing and tasty. And he's doing the same with these six disciples that are started out with him as well. These were empty men. They maybe had an idea of their culture and that kind of stuff and their Jewish background. But the things that Jesus was wanting to teach them and wanting to show them, they had to 
learn. Jesus had to change them from empty men into things that were full of the Spirit we see later on. So I think there is a, a connection between the disciples and the empty water pots there. And, of course, us as believers. Now we start off empty. We can try and fill our lives full of the, the things of this world. And nothing satisfies. Things will satisfy for a wee while. But nothing really truly satisfies the way the Holy Spirit does. Or the way Jesus does when he fills us up with his things. Don't ever think that you are an empty water pot that's of no use. I don't want anybody here today sitting thinking, you know, Jesus can't use me. Ah, I've got no talent. Or I don't really know the scriptures well. Or I'm not really that good at anything. That's exactly what I think. But the Lord has certainly used me in the past through wee things, through big things, whatever. All you've got to do is make yourself available. The water pots were there. Just the same as we are there as well. Let Jesus use us. Jesus filled the water pots. He got the servants to, to use the water pots as well. So be obedient to Jesus. You know, let him fill our lives. Because he could use us mightily. Every one of us here today, he could perform a miracle through us. We just need to let ourselves be willing, ready and able to, to obey his word and do what he's asked us to do. Do you want to be a filled water pot today? That's part of the challenge today. Do you want Jesus to fill you? Do you want Jesus to use you? That's something you need to decide. Are you going to be obedient and do his will? That's your choice. Verse 10. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. So basically the, the master of the, the, the feast here, the bridegroom, is saying, listen, normally what would happen at these big do's, weddings and, and big feasts, they'd bring out the best wine first. Because everybody will be like, oh, that wine's fantastic, that's brilliant. And once they've had a, a few and they've had a bite to eat, they bring out the kind of inferior stuff because nobody's really going to notice. And that's what they do. I mean, that's, that's just the way man is. You know, man will give you the best first but then the next time maybe no be quite so good. We know about hey, that's, that's sorry. That's kind of man's way of looking at life. That's the way man does things. But God, He gives His best first and always. And as believers, we should be trying to do that as well in our life. Whether it be in our spiritual walk, whether it be in our physical daily walk at work, at, at, at schools, at, at friends and family, with neighbours. You know, we should always strive to be the best that we can be. Not for our own glory, but for God's glory. You know, we'll learn that for those that are coming along to the, the worship workshop later on. That The worship isn't just about playing music and singing songs. It's about the way we conduct ourselves. It's about the way that we put Jesus' image across to others. That's, that's what we are. We are supposed to be Jesus here. We are the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, so we should be conducting ourselves the way ambassadors should. The way... Just, I just came my thought, came my head there. Just they were saying the, the, the Calvary Conference, for those folks that were there, they were talking about the rabbi and how the people have always followed the rabbi and they wanted to be just like the rabbi. That's what we should be like. We should be wanting to be like the Lord Jesus Christ and living our life the way he should. 
And through his power and through his grace and, and, and his spirit, we could perform miracles as well. We just need to have the faith. We just need to be, let ourselves be able to be used, let ourselves willing to be used for his glory. Verse 11. The beginning of signs, sorry, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifest his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers and his disciples and they, and they did not stay there many days. So here we see Jesus performed this miracle. Why did he perform this miracle? Well, he wanted to, to show the people his glory. He wanted the people, especially the disciples, to see that he truly is who he says he is. And because he performed that miracle, the disciples then believed. The disciples then knew that this man is claiming who he is claiming to be. He is this man, the Son of God, the Messiah. He can perform these miracles. And this is just the start so, the, the thing about Jesus as well is that the miracles itself, as we'll look on further with our study, is that it shows evidence of Jesus' power. It shows that he is the Son of God. And, you know, sometimes we do need evidence. It's all very well accepting something in faith and believing it, but sometimes there are people, including myself, I look for a wee bit of evidence to prove that, oh Lord, are you really there? And sometimes he does show. Sometimes he doesn't. He knows my time, but it's always in his time, you know. And and sometimes he does show himself. And because we do need that wee bit of evidence. And here we see that Jesus uses these miracles to prove to people that he is who he says he is. And the beauty with Jesus was that he didn't do any hocus pocus or a, a magic wand or anything or a wee nod and a wink. It was just his will, and things happened. The water turning into wine. He didn't do some magic blessing upon it or anything. He just filled it with water, told him to scoop it out and it was wine. Just like that. It's because it was Jesus' will that it be turned into wine. And it's Jesus' will that we should be used as the water pots to change us from something that was empty into something that is filled. Filled with the joy. Filled with with the, the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to be able and willing to do that. So that's my challenge this morning for you. Are you going to be like the water pots and let yourself be filled and be like the servants and do Jesus' will no matter what it takes? Jesus said to the guys, fill up the water, and they did it. Scoop out the water, let the master of the feast taste it. And they did it. They done it in faith. So let that be our lesson this morning as well, that we can be great and mighty for the Lord's glory in the way we conduct our lives, rather than just sitting there being empty water pots in the corner somewhere thinking that we can be used because we've got no talent, we're too old, too young, whatever, too busy. We can come up with 101 excuses. But the fact is that Jesus wants to use you guys as well. Just the same way as he used water pots, he used the disciples, he used the servants. All these things combined, coming together, glorified Jesus. And that's what he wants to do with us as well. Let's pray. 
Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for being such a majestic and, and awesome, Lord, for the things that you have done in the past, Lord God, for the miracles that you have performed. And Father, although we are amazed by them, Lord God, we really shouldn't be because you're the God that created all things. You brought everything into existence. You can do the impossible. And we thank you, Father, that the the God that we worship this morning is you, and you are alive, and you are living. Just the way your word is, Father, as we can read through it. So we thank you, Lord, that we are just empty water pots, sometimes broken, sometimes a bit dirty. But, Father God, through your grace, you can mend us, you can clean us up, You can use us to glorify you. You can turn us into shining, golden water pots filled with the joy of the Spirit, filled with the the Holy Spirit's power, if we only let you do that. So Father, I ask just now that you help us this morning and in the days to come as a bunch of believers coming together as a church, that you use us individually and also as a church, Lord God, to bring you glory. To let the people out there see that you are the way. And that there is only one way to the Father, and that is through you, Lord. So I thank you, Father, that, that you have us here today looking at this and, and that we can freely read your word today, Lord. So Lord, have a blessing upon us as we leave here. That you can encourage us and strive us and we can encourage one another to, to live the life that you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.